0: Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I've got a special session for you today where I'm going to introduce you to my personal trainer. We're starting off the year here, we're trying to get in shape and trying to get healthy, and I thought, what better person to introduce you to? I have been the classic difficult client for any personal trainer in history, but I finally met my match, and so today I'm going to introduce you to a man by the name of Michael Stromsness. Now, if you're at Mastermind, I featured him in the audience. He looks like a Viking. Looks like if you go to the series Vikings and you go to Central Casting, he doesn't have a blue tattoo on his face, but everything else looks like a Viking. His brand is the Enlightened Savage, and I think when you hear from him today, you'll understand why. He's a very, very sharp guy. He's a a chiropractor, a movement specialist, but extremely passionate about helping people get fit and healthy and doing it in a way that really brings people through a process that I think is counterintuitive to the way health and fitness is taught today. Mike's the founder of Neutrility Gym here in Carlsbad, California. And uh, he resides also in Carlsbad with his lovely wife, who's a naval doctor serving our country. And uh, two great little jiu-jitsu girls who are champion jujitsu mat specialists, just like dad is. So, Mike, we want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming. Appreciate well, you being here. Me. So today, um, we want to introduce the folks to a little bit of what I get every morning, at least four or five days a week. Uh, my kids go to you to help them with college sports. Uh, Anna for her horse riding. By golly, even Beverly now is starting to show up. And so that's the ultimate compliment, and Beverly shows up for a workout. But I want to talk today about this process, but I want to kind of get them to know you a little bit first. Talk a little bit about where you grew up, where you come from, your Northeastern boy.
1: Northeastern boy. So most of my childhood, I grew up in western New York, very rural. Both the towns I lived in, in primary school and then high school, probably had under 12,000 people in them. My parents now reside on 42 acres, 10 minutes outside of a town that has 10,000 people. So pretty rural upbringing. My thought when I was there was the only way out of that type of area was either with sports or academics. I kept my academics high enough to be able to get into any sports program that wanted to send me a scholarship. Right. And so then I played football in college off and on, bouncing around the country, not being satisfied where I was at. I think a lot of that had to do with maturity. But after that, at about sophomore year, I decided uh, this football thing may not 100% work out, so I need a backup plan. And my backup plan was medical school. So then I started taking pre-med classes with an emphasis in chemistry instead of biology. And then when I was studying to take the MCATs, I thought, well, I better go see what a a medical doctor actually does. And (laughs) I mean, I had experience with doctors, but I've never really seen their day-to-day. I was looking purely at the financial side of it. So I went in and followed and shadowed some doctors with different specialties that I thought I wanted to pursue. And as I went and shadowed them, I realized that is definitely not what I wanted to do. (laughs) So then I was kind of, I was a little bit adrift, took a job as a bench chemist and worked as a bench chemist for a while. And then my wife was like, well, have you thought about PT or chiropractic? I'd never been to a chiropractor before, but I did some research on the internet, again, fueled by financial security at yeah. that point, And I saw all the qualities that they said made a good chiropractor and a good physical therapist. I'm like, being the semi-egotistical person that I am, I said, <laughs> well, I, I possess all those qualities. I can do that. I can do it better than anybody else. And so I signed up for chiropractic school with never seeing a chiropractor, never being to a chiropractor before, not even fully understanding what they did this is where I'm helping you now, do a oh, of research, doing a little research and a little planning research.
0: before we jump in, but that's good.
1: It worked yeah. out, it yeah, worked yeah. out. so with that is the first week in the school, people were saying stuff that didn't make sense to me. I was like, all right, I'm getting my money back. I'm going to do something else. And I was actually one of the guys that was an upperclassman said, hey, you need to come to this club. And the club was set up with a bunch of doctors that were functional doctors doing a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now that mm-hmm. have been doing it for 20 or 30 years. They started clubs at the school that helped the students really get integrated into things that weren't taught into school. So from that club, I got a lot of great mentors that really pushed me mm. to study everything that's in this country, that's overseas, that really help people in the best way possible. So I got the unique experience to have mentors doing the stuff that I did that did it better than anybody else.
0: And theirs was a a physical therapy, it was chiropractic, it was restorative.
1: It was all of that. Um, There was different ones that had different specialties. So everything besides really the strength training, Mm -hmm. they were experts at. And they still are experts at. And I still go and learn from these guys. But where I made a little differentiation is I was a small, short, slow kid that was trying to play professional sports where big tall, fast, strong people (laughs) played. So my thing was, is I was like, I will just outwork everybody. Mm -hmm. And so the strength training portion was there for me for a long time. I helped my teammates in high school and college, and I tried to learn from our strength coaches. And so I took all that knowledge that I had learned there, combined it with all the restorative, the rehab, some sports performance that the mentors that were both chiropractors and PTs were teaching me. And then I kind of evolved it into what I do with people right now. And
0: along the way, you've worked with a lot of ordinary folks like, you know, mom and pops who are, you know, showing up to get healthy to top-notch athletes. You've done a lot of work with UFC fighters, which are people who are really at the foremost edge of physical condition because they're it's the rawest sport. It's the most likely to get injured. And so you've worked in those kind of environments. And along the way, you develop what we're going to talk about today, which I think is going to be a really great interest to people, this triple R system we talk about, which will help an average person struggling with average condition get to really, really good condition. And we'll talk about that. But as we go through that, people are going to ask me, and so I want to get this off the table, where did the whole enlightened savage name come from? Where's that from?
1: Well, you know, as I said, again, probably a little bit of the narcissism that, you know, I fully take ownership of. But The enlightened part is the fact that I've spent thousands and thousands of hours in books at seminars bothering people that I thought were the best in the world at what they do and trying to force them to teach me. So I feel like I've been enlightened Mm -hmm. in the aspect of human performance and rehab and just how the body works. And then the savage part is I'm a little bit of a crazy guy. I'm a little bit of a wild horse. Anybody that knows me, knows that I really care about helping people but I'm a little bit off. I mean yeah. I think all of us are but that dichotomy of being enlightened and being a savage I think plays really well because like it's it's 100% me. Like no I doubt. mean I'm like the nerdy guy studying the book when it comes to the human body but when I'm training or I'm going after something it's like Conan the Barbarian, you know, slashing down his conquest with a sword. So, (laughs) you know, it's the scientist and the savage. And then the enlightened savage, I think that, like, played pretty well. So, you know, just, again, me thinking I was smart, I picked that name. And it's kind of stuck. And, I mean, there's a lot of them. I mean, your kids call me Coach Beard. (laughs) Some people that are just, like, focused on the rehab and they need that assurance, you know, they call me Dr. Strumsness. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with all of them because it's more what allows people to be comfortable when I'm working with them because my goal is to reach their goal, not be called doctor or savage or coach Well, it just
0: makes you character, and that's what we like. And so I kind of like it. Yeah, there's an edge to it, and I appreciate that, and it makes it kind of fun to come to work out every day. I do want to dive in here. Let's just go through the basics here. Okay. It's, It's the new year people have done what they always do over the holidays, and people are doing right now and listening to this podcast, going to do what they've always done. You know, man, I got to lose these 10 pounds or 15 pounds or mm-hmm. whatever else. I ate too much over the holidays. I haven't been moving. Where is it that most people fail when it comes to getting in shape and getting healthy? Where is it that just the common mistakes that are made?
1: The common mistakes, I think, is most people, when they decide that they're going to get into shape or that they're going to lose weight, they almost feel pressured. Like they feel pressured from someone else or that it's the new year that I need to say I'm going to lose 15 pounds or I need to get in better shape or I'm not happy with myself. But they really don't dive into the why. They just say, okay, I'm going to lose 15 pounds because other people are saying they're going to lose 15 pounds. Uh So if you're going to lose 15 pounds, great. I can go sit in a sauna right now (laughs) and sweat out 15 pounds, step on the scale. It says I'm 15 pounds lighter. Look at that. January 1, I accomplish my goal, check it off, and I'm going to go eat two dozen donuts. That's where most people fail is because if you don't understand the why to why you're setting the goal of losing 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that's always going into it is why do you want to lose 15 pounds? Well, I'm not happy with my appearance. Okay, why are you not happy with your appearance? I don't feel comfortable in a bathing suit right now. Okay, cool. What would make you feel comfortable in a bathing suit? Well, I would like people to be able to see my muscles. I don't want my stomach hanging over the edge, whatever it may be. Well, then we can start to create a plan and like knowing where the goal is, then we can create a plan to get there. And then when you get to that goal, then you're happy instead Uh of being like, I lost 15 pounds and now I'm just a smaller, fatter version of myself, which happens a lot of times because people, they go on a starvation diet, they don't work out, they don't feed and fuel their bodies. So it's more about knowing why you want to get to where you are. So I think that's the biggest, the fall is people just put... Goals out there with no meaning behind them.
0: Right. They start with that. I think it also seems to be there's a, an unrealistic element to it, which is someone's been sedentary, hasn't been moving, and they get a bolt of inspiration. They watch the Creed movie or whatever Ooh. happened. And the yeah. next thing you know, I'm going to run a marathon. Of I, course. I'm 40 pounds over light. I'm going to run a marathon. Or I'm going to do this. Isn't it that so many of us start out with an unrealistic goal and an unrealistic time frame and that the truth is we want the outcome we don't want the process i mean there's people who just like going to the gym every day like for me personally right and we'll get through this process i was a sportsman i worked out fanatically when i was playing ball because it had a purpose to it it had an outcome to it it would make me faster make me stronger make me hit harder all those different things the minute i lost you know when i had my motorcycle accident and i lost my ability to play the game mm-hmm. going to the gym just be beca- it's a chore it's been a chore ever since You know, for me, it was a means to an end. Right now, I'm in a process of recalibrating my thinking. Mm -hmm. After 20 years of going to the gym as a duty as opposed to a devotion, there's people who love to go to the gym because that's who they are. They go to the gym. They love the smell of the gym. They love the environment. It's who they are. It's the process. I don't think that's most people.
1: No, no. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think it's most people, they want a result or they think they want a result but they don't want to do the work. And it's a lot of times because they put it in a negative frame. It's like, oh, well, this is going to suck so bad. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to hate that. Well, yeah, if that's your thought process going into the gym, you're not going to have a good time going into the gym. And maybe the gym isn't the place for you to do the stuff that you're wanting to do, but it's also resetting your frame of mind to why you're doing stuff. And by having that. Correct goal of what the outcome was When you were playing sports You were fanatically working out Because you wanted to perform better at the sport Uh So what I like to let people know is Okay, listen If you are doing some type of movement To reach your goal You're eating better You're doing all that There's a lot of benefits Outside of just that physical one that you gain If you're being physically active And eating better You're going to have more energy You're going to have less stress Uh Things that normally bother you Are going to bother you a whole lot less You're going to be mentally more acute in work, in your family life. So as you're improving one part of your life, the other parts of your life can improve too. And so instead of just looking at it like I have all this arduous work to do to get to this unrealistic goal with this unrealistic time frame, it should be more of like a process of like for me, I spring out of bed every morning, even when I'm tired, because I get super jazzed to help people, help uh-huh. people improve their bodies, help people improve their mindsets. And improve their outlook on being physically fit and healthy because it helps improve every part of your life. Like if you're dragging by 10 a.m. at work, work's not fun. Uh Even if you enjoy your work, if you're just sluggish, you're not going to enjoy work. But if you have energy and you feel like you're accomplishing stuff and you feel like you're on fire in other parts of your life, then it's like, oh, well, this gym thing isn't just about the physical. It's helping me mentally. It's Uh helping me emotionally. It's helping me with my relationships with my family, my coworkers, my friends. Then it becomes something where it's like, oh, I'm willing to do 30 minutes a day or an hour of day of something that's good for me because I see all these other areas in my life that it's helping me. Right. So
0: we're going to dive into the triple R system here in a second because it feeds nicely into my pattern, which has been, you know, I've very intense schedule, very intense travel, probably more demands on myself than I should have allowed in the last 20 years. And through that, I fight through it and i have different periods of motivation and fire and enthusiasm and then i'll go and i'll go hard i'll go very hard and i'll go hard until i injure myself of course and so part of what happens is you know it becomes this pattern for me and i think for a lot of folks you know they want to have pain free workouts the, the truth of the matter is the pain's coming one way or the other right it's one way or the other it's either lactic acid building up in your muscle <laughs> right or you're going to have man i'm i'm in pain getting out of bed every day mm-hmm. or doing the basics but for me I uh, my pattern has been I go through a phase I work real hard I get excited I get motivated I've done the marathon training I've done this done that, boom tear the hamstring work out real hard work out real hard boom next thing you know I have a a hip injury that mm-hmm. you know shuts me down so I've gone from hard exercise to nothing hard exercise to nothing What's so attracted me up to your process and, and this whole thing is this dynamic of the triple R system we talk about, which is rebuild, refine, and rediscover. And I just think this is going to be so helpful to so many people. Because when I first came to you, you had just had a very well-known football player in before me. I'm watching this giant of a man, a super <laughs> stud, and he's doing the most basic, simple exercise, which was kneeling on a little blue pad, yeah. one leg at a time, and the guy's falling over. Oh, yeah. And we started off with the most basic movement pieces to find a baseline, to find out where it was at, to do the corrective work, to get healed up before then you started putting on the weights and and start doing all that. So I think this is such a very different concept than what most people are experiencing when exercise. Most people are buying the exercise equipment. They're joining the gym. They're getting a trainer. But you start off with rebuild. Talk to us about the process here of rebuilding and maybe even get into a little bit of what you do with someone when you first meet them.
1: Yeah, of course. So rebuild, whether you are coming from an injury or you're just trying to get started or you're a professional level athlete, the rebuild is setting the baseline Mm -hmm. and it's setting your foundation. So we'll say like we're building a house. If you have a good foundation, you can get away even with some shoddy work in building the house. Mm -hmm. But if you have a bad foundation, it doesn't matter how well you finish that house how good of cabinetry you buy, how custom everything is, eventually things are going to start going a little off because that foundation isn't on. So the foundation for our body is is we have to be able to breathe correctly. We have to be able to activate our core correctly, load our feet. So the thing about the human body, though, it's the greatest compensatory mechanism ever. Like we can do stuff even if we're doing it completely wrong. Uh-huh. We can get through it. But it's very resilient, but over time, maybe 10, 15, 20 years, we start to have chronic hip pain, back pain, foot pain, because we're not using our body as efficiently or how we should be. Now, your professional athletes are neurologic wizards. Uh They can compensate better than anybody. So that means they can do something better than 99.9% of the world, even if they're using bad movement patterns. Uh But that can lead to injury for them or that can lead to not reaching their full potential. Uh So when you said there was a great big football player that was falling all over even though he's well-known and very good athlete and he wasn't injured. Uh It's because he was able to do stuff very, very well with a compensated pattern. And you can Uh see that in anything. People can run great businesses (laughs) <laughs> with a crappy foundation for a while right. but then it just falls apart yes, it does. it's the truth with anything if the foundation isn't good then it's not going to be as good as it could be so what are some of the
0: basic things you'll do to establish a baseline for somebody
1: just to establish a baseline is first see how people are breathing uh-huh. because most of us we're sitting we've sat for at least kindergarten to twelfth grade if we have college or work or anything like that we're sitting all the time that turns our diaphragm off our diaphragm is both a respiratory muscle and a stabilization muscle so when your legs were up and you're laying on on the bench and we're uh-huh. working on breathing and breathing down and creating intra-abdominal pressure as we're breathing, that's step one because that's the foundation of all movement. So we worked on that. We work on core activation. Then it's to see how your body responds to things. Like getting up off of that little blue pad on one leg, that's seeing how one leg stabilizes.
0: So simplified here. It's a, we're not a television yeah, yeah. program. So this is a little blue foam pad and you'd have me... Put a knee down. Put a knee down. Okay. In a lunge position. In a lunge position and then come up. Yep. And and then come back down.
1: Yep. And it had to be controlled and your foot, ankle, knee, and hip had to be in the right position. Mm -hmm. When your foot, ankle, knee, and hip were in the wrong position, the hip injury that you had a while ago, you felt like your hip or low back was hurt. By simply showing you where everything needed to be, like where your foot needed to be, where your knee needed to be, where your hip needed to be. If you needed support with your hand to do that, right. as you came up, even though it was significantly harder on the muscle, like you could come up and down off that pad 50 times. Yeah. But when we put you in that ideal position, right. it was very hard for you, but there was no pain. So the progression
0: here is, and I'll talk about this autobiographically, is... I first go to see you, and again, I'm like, look, I'm ready to get in shape. I got a big tour ahead of me, da 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 I want to drop 18, 20 pounds. I want to change my body composition by 7, 8%. And the next thing you know, you're, you're having me kneel on a pad doing lunges, and you're having me do it slowly to the point that I'm, like, wobbling all over the place. So to start off, I'm, like, having to balance myself by putting my right hand on a bench to come up mm-hmm. and come down and come up and... Co- and I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is going to be an eternity. And we did that again, and we did that again. And you had that as part of our workout for about the first six months. Now, fast forward a year, and here's a deadlift bar, and we hundreds of pounds are on it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, great. Now we're making, as your phrase is, gains, right? We're gains. making gains. We want gains. That's where you're using the big weights. Mm-hmm. You're getting the big muscles movement. There we go. You, you, you know, you're burning tons of calories throughout the day. There was no point in doing those deadlifts first because those deadlifts... If I'd have started with those deadlifts, I'd have injured myself permanently.
1: We'd have been done in a week or two. Yeah. We wouldn't be sitting here right now.
0: Right. And so that's a a principle there, I think, for everybody is you got to put the foundation in place. And so building out those Mm baselines, moving properly. And again, it's slow and steady wins a race. And it, it helps to have someone who knows what the heck they're doing to walk you through this. Walking into a gym where some meathead trainer says, let's go put on some stacks and just go... As your first day out, run away. You're probably in trouble, right? Run away. So what would be another baseline that we've done or that other people could do as far as, you know, we have the blue pad in the, in the lunch position. What would be another?
1: Another baseline would be, it's a pretty easy one. A lot of gyms have these is the stability in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people like to do bench press. A lot of people like to do military press, really popular lifts. But a lot of times people's bodies aren't ready for that. And you've had shoulder injuries yeah. before. You've had to where your shoulder was frozen while you were doing a lot of your tours. Mm-hmm. So we started with five-pound kettlebells right. holding onto the handles with the circular part of the kettlebell facing upwards. And we only had you go through the range of motion where you could keep your shoulder in an ideal position. Right. And... Those are really hard for you in the beginning. Yeah,
0: I could barely do them. I was like, this is kind of sad.
1: But the thing was is I could have handed you a 30-pound dumbbell and you could have repped out 10, 15 reps right, right. there. But then you would have been like, ah, my shoulder really hurt after right. that. Because what we're working there is we're working those stabilizer muscles. And by doing that bell up, and so if you, you search on YouTube, you can find bell up kettlebell presses. Uh-huh. And the big thing with those too is you don't ever want to let your elbow as you're pressing fall below your shoulder line Uh because that takes a significant amount more of stabilization in your shoulder but with those lightweight kettlebell presses that were forcing the muscles that needed to be active first before your bigger muscles could be active and work efficiently, your limit was whatever weight you could hold on to in that position and press without the kettlebell falling forward or backwards. So it gives you a very easy guideline to say, okay, I can do this weight or I can't do this weight. Uh So, I mean, for me is... I could have had you, within a few weeks, pressing 20 pounds more than those 30-pound dumbbells that you could have done. You probably would have added some muscle. You started changing your body composition. But maybe three weeks, maybe five weeks, maybe six weeks, any of those old shoulder issues that hadn't been taken care of because we're still working on that. We're still in the rebuild phase because you had significant injuries that were never rehabbed. And your listeners and people that have heard your story – understand where you were when you had that so your body had formed scar tissue compensatory patterns and you've had these issues that haven't been taken care of and then you're a very intense guy i don't know if anybody's ever told you that not really no not really okay but well i find you an intense guy so you want to come at the workout like you attack everything else mm-hmm. like i'm just gonna go 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 and get it get it get it now if i were to let you do that which i'm sure you've done before. Again, you would probably end up eventually having that injury, Mm -hmm. but it's about attacking what you need to attack and what you needed to attack in the beginning and still some now, and you've made significant gains in, and there's the gains again. You've made (laughs) significant (laughs) gains in getting your body able to do stuff that it wasn't able to do when we first started. Like when we first started with really light deadlifts, it was not comfortable for you. No. You rep out 10 deadlifts with hundreds of pounds on each side and you're fine now. Right. And it's the same thing with the shoulder press. You couldn't do full range of motion with your shoulder without it hurting. Now I can put a whole bunch of weight in funky ways with bands and bamboo bars and you can press it and you're stable with it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing is you can aggressively attack things, but it has to be in the correct sequence.
0: So the goal is ultimately, again, the rebuild phases. We all have, especially as we get along in life a little bit, we all have some dings and twinges and things that hurt. So what it's done for me is build a foundation over time. It was not as fast as I would like. It's still not as fast as I would like. But I have seen the progression. And the real thing I have is the confidence that I'm not going backwards. Yeah. So I think that's the key for folks is, and what I will say for me is the process is, you know, because I had a period of time here where I was gone. I traveled all over Kingdom Come and and so on and so forth. And I just flat out missed the routine of going to the gym, Mm -hmm. where it used to be a grind. It used to be something that you know it was a hat to do Mm -hmm. it was a hat to do it was take your medicine you know that kind of stuff now it's part of my routine it's part of my lifestyle we got tommy in there in the sound room he's a character i come in he's we laugh for an hour you know what i mean so yeah it's a great start to my day it's part of my routine but the process has been finding somebody who really knows what they're talking about helping to restore restore and and really restore you know, and, you know, work through the kinks and then do it in a small progression and bit by bit by bit by bit. And I feel like, you know, today where I'm at, by the time I hit the, you know, we're right at a year working out together and I feel like I have a foundation place that I've never had, not yeah. since I was an athlete 30 years ago, where now I can really start moving forward. And so that's, I think, is is very different. It's very unique. It's very counter-cultural. You know, we live in a world of three payments in 1995, eight-minute abs, You can have it now, you know, liposine, don't change anything you diet, you know, just take the pill, poop it out, you're good to go. go.
1: Tapeworm diet.
0: Right. And so the point is, it's very difficult. So I think a lot of people can relate to this. So we have this rebuild phase. Talk about once we get this platform in place, and this is the phase I've kind of entered into now, Mm -hmm. it's the refinement phase. So let's talk about that once you have the good platform.
1: So once we have the good platform, it's putting our bodies in a position that we can do things where we're not going to get injured, and the work that we do is going to help us progress towards the goals that we want. That's Mm -hmm. the rebuild phase, is getting us to where the exercises, the movements, the activities that we want to do are going to be fine for us. Mm -hmm. The refine stage is we've got that platform, we're moving well, we're feeling good, and now we just really need to strengthen the crap out of all those good movements, Mm -hmm. because Anything externally, whether we're running, jumping, playing basketball, lifting weights, is the way that we stay injury-free is by resisting those forces from outside of our body. So the stronger we get, the more resilient we get. Uh And the stronger we get in those good patterns, that then allows us to become dynamic with those patterns. That allows us to be able to put them within a sport that we want to play or an Uh activity And that refinement stage is just really making that foundation strong, 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 and then adding new movements, adding new difficulties, adding stability factors. It's just the step-by-step progression. We laid the base, the foundation of the house. The refinement stage is putting all the walls up. The insulation, the house is getting pretty finished. Right. We haven't put on the fine finishes, but, I mean, we got a house now. Right. We've got a house now that we can live in. And I, I
0: want to dive into something here because this is, you know, we'll get a, a, into your own personal philosophy here which is my natural bent was, you know, I played soccer. So mm-hmm. it's a running sport. You, you run for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. My default has always been to run. I enjoy the heck out of running. It clears the mind and whatever else. I train for marathons. Now, I ended up tearing both hamstrings by, you know, running 15 miles, getting on an airplane, traveling across the country, getting tighter than a drum, and then go run again. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you use cardio. There's an assault bike, assault bike system, which is awesome, which is kind of a it's a bike that also has handles on it and you go for 10 seconds hard and 20 seconds off you use that and we'll do four minutes of that and then do the weights and then do a full circuit and then come back to four intense minutes again and then do the weights and then you know back over we use ropes and all the different things tell me why those circuits like the way you do them is different than say having people do a gazillion hours of cardio
1: well When we look at just doing tons of cardio and slow-paced cardio, whether it's running, whether it's on a bike nice and slow, is we're setting up to build our body to be more efficient on less, which you would think, okay, well, that would be good because then we can eat less and we can do less. But what it's really doing, if you're doing really slow-paced cardio, is it's teaching your metabolism kind of to slow down. And now, you know, people can argue with science. You really can't. Um, Uh Uh Slowing your metabolism down to be more efficient with everything that you consume and that you're using, that's what slow-paced cardio. It really gets the body good at stretching out and using a lot. Well, to lose body fat, to lose weight, we have to be at like a negative caloric intake Uh or we have to be below the energy we put out through our workouts and throughout the day has to be more than what we're taking in. If we're trying to lose body fat, we're trying to lose weight. So we want the metabolism as high as possible we want, if we're trying to change body composition, if we're trying to lose body fat, if we're trying to build muscle, we want it, if we're just trying to lose body fat, we want the metabolism as high as possible. Uh If we're trying to build muscle, we want it a little bit lower. And then so, slow-paced cardio a lot of times just puts our metabolism slower. So what we're doing, and to keep it as simple as possible, is we're trying to max where we can keep the heart rate without going into a point where we're completely dead. Uh then add where we're doing a lot of load with deadlifts and squats and things like that, which are very androgenic lifts, which really get our body saying, okay, he's breaking me down a little bit and not in a bad way, but he's putting a lot of force on me. Mm -hmm. I have to build muscle. I have to get stronger. So we're keeping the heart rate up high while at the same time trying to trigger the body to gain strength and gain muscle. And along with that is... That can be the greatest workout in the world, and I'm sure we'll get to this in some point, but we can have the greatest workouts in the world, but if the nutrition isn't supporting our workouts, right. then we're just running our wheels as well. So the bottom line is it's a circuit training type mm-hmm. mentality.
0: There's a cardio element, but it's also it's about gaining muscle. Yep. And gaining muscle, muscle burns fat, right? A pound of muscle added a year burns five pounds of fat, right? So the more muscle we can put on, you know, people, especially women, over years. I don't want to do weight training because I don't want to get bulky. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been widely disproved over the years, right? Oh yeah.
1: Well, unless you're a woman with a significantly higher testosterone level than 99.9% of the women right. in the world, adding resistance training is not going to make you bulky. Uh-huh. A word that you know is thrown out everywhere is, with women and some men too is, "I want to get toned." Uh-huh. The only way to have muscle definition is to strengthen those muscles. Mm -hmm. Those muscles need to be strong under resistance, 50 reps, with a two-pound pink dumbbell, and expecting to have ripped arms. It's probably not going to happen. Now, if you're a genetic freak, maybe... Or maybe you have some magic sauce that I haven't seen, but <laughs> maybe you can get yeah. maybe you can get toned with that. But even when people say toned But what would be the
0: contrast to that? So
1: So for most women, say they were doing thirty reps with really lightweight dumbbells. To really tone the muscles, and toning the muscles is not about just strength training them, but also having the nutrition to lower your body fat sure. percentage. But to actually gain like a more hardened looked muscle. It needs to be somewhere between 8 to 12 reps. If they can do more than 12 reps, that's too light, too of, light weight. of weight. Okay. And staying in between that 8 and 12 reps, research has shown that's about the best. And you can get better muscle definition with a lot of ways, but that's been the way that shows to be the most successful. And Mm -hmm. then just to jump on that for women is another thing that women often do, and this is just with a lot of the women clients that I've worked with, a lot of women that I've talked to, is they eat significantly lower amounts of protein than their body needs. Mm -hmm. So even if they're working out really hard, if they're not consuming enough protein – their workouts aren't going to be as effective Mm -hmm. because the workouts break down muscle. Mm -hmm. The proteins are the building blocks to rebuild the muscle. So if they're doing two, three hours of cardio, plus lifting some weights, plus yoga classes, plus whatever, but they're at a deficiency of protein, then they're not going to get the results that
0: they Mm -hmm. want. That's a great one. I think a lot of people try. You know, maybe not 100% all-in commitment. And and here's the thing. You know, life is short. You're like, you like an Irish whiskey once in a while. Once in you, a while, yeah. You know, you enjoy your life. You went to Coney Island, uh, brought your kids during the summer, and you hammered a bunch of hot dogs. I mean, it's not about being all-in one way or the other. I think most people try. I found myself over time becoming discouraged by just doing the wrong things. Yeah. I was trying hard. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to only eat salads. You know, I've tried the vegan thing, and I got, for me personally, I got worse. Mm -hmm. So people will deny themselves and this and that. And we'll talk about diet here in a minute. But at the end of the day, you know, circuit training with eating, you know, the proper amounts of protein, fats, and carbohydrates seems to be the way to go and that you can get very efficient workouts. You don't have to spend all day in a gym. Nope. You don't have to do it seven days a week, but you can make great progress. And I've seen that. I've seen that with many of your other clients i've seen that with myself and you know for me again being wrapped a little tight and having uh, a very heavy schedule not Mm -hmm. only professionally but personally for a long time i never took the time to rehab i never took the time to rebuild and uh, now that we're going through this rebuild phase now, I'm I'm excited as we've launched into the refined phase and getting going. This last phase, which will be helpful for those that are down the path a little bit, which is kind of rediscover, and that's rediscover. It's kind of like
1: rediscover your inner athlete. Oh, definitely. Talk about that for a second. So, rediscover your inner athlete, that is a lot of times people that have either been injured for a long time or have had discouragements and given up on goals for many reasons, whether it's getting, a lot of times it's getting injured. They push to a point and they get injured, they get discouraged, they stop, or they put in a ton of work and they don't see the results that they want in the time frame that they think they should be seeing those results, then they get discouraged, then they stop. So the rediscover is once you've got that base, once you've built and refined those movements, once you've worked out and you've hit a lot of your goals and Mm -hmm. you're like, man, I'm actually better than where I thought I could be. And- just an example of that is uh, your brother Dermot. Right. He came into me. I've been working with him for like, I think, for two and a half years now. Right. And he came into me, and one of the first conversations he had with me is, I know I can never be physically fit again. Mm-hmm. I just want to be out of pain.
0: And give context. He had, you know, Dermot had his back fused when he was 16 yeah. years old. He was a, a lock to be a top flight professional soccer player, mm-hmm. very talented soccer player. And again, I think the technologies and medicines would be better in Ireland today than they were in the 80s. But they end up fusing discs in his spine. And when he came to you, it's the same as my son, Adam. My Mm -hmm. son, Adam, came to you with a very serious back injury playing basketball. Mm -hmm. Dermot came to you where he had just had epidurals and he was on all fours Mm -hmm. in crippling back pain. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dermot today, two and a half years later, I mean, I, I've seen you post Instagram videos <laughs> of Dermo on the assault bike with some professional boxer or something trying to work each other into the grave. You know, oh, yeah. he's transformed his body, and, mm-hmm. and he was the greatest advertisement for those two guys, me and Adam and me and Dermot. It was like, okay, I need to go see this guy. Mm-hmm. But you started with him, talk about rebuild, mm-hmm. and then refine. And now he's on the rediscover phase, and dermo has got a little glint in his eye. And it seems to be this this rediscover phase is is actually getting that confidence and actually helping somebody frame a set of goals to be at their peak. Oh, of course. And again, I think for the average person, we kind of gave up on that.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of that, too, is just societal. Like, people think, well, after 30, right. I'm done. Right. I'm not healthy anymore. I can't do this. I can't do that. I had right. a bum knee from high school. Right. I've had more injuries than most. Maybe not you, maybe not Tommy, but I've Mm -hmm. been injured a lot. And at 22 years old, I was sitting in a recliner most of the day because everything else hurt. Walking up the stairs hurt. Reaching into a cabinet hurt. I'm more active now than when I was a teenager with no pain Mm -hmm. almost all the time. And with that, that's what helped me develop all this stuff because I did the rebuild, refine, and rediscover with myself. Mm -hmm. And, like, my goal is to be healthier and more fit and do more things every year from now till 50. And then once I hit 50, I'm going to probably up the goal to 60 or 70. Sure. But with Dermot, and when we go with the societal thing, is he was, you know, I have an injured back. Right. That was kind of where he defined himself as I have an injured back. I can't get healthy. He was trying to avoid his fourth back surgery. I believe right, they were it was put rods down a spine. Yeah, he was yeah. trying to avoid his fourth back surgery. I listened. I heard him, and what I heard was, you know, I have an injured back. I'm in pain. The only thing I want to do is get out of pain, and then that was it. But as we were getting him out of pain, when I was getting him out of pain, we started adding some of the refine and even some of the rediscover. Like Dermot was afraid to reach down and pick something up off the floor. Sure. Well, as soon as we got him out of back pain and he was safe and strong enough to do it, he wasn't ready mentally to do it, but I was like, let's go deadlift. Uh-huh. He's like, no, I can't do that. Right. I was like, well, you can, and we don't have to today. I'm just letting you know we can, and you're going to be 100% fine with that, but don't worry if you don't want to do it. You know, We'll do it later if you're not ready. And right. so the rebuild phase is the rebuild phase isn't just physical, but it's mental and emotional mm. as well. And then we went to the refine, and the refine stage was quite a while because he was working out, his nutrition, becoming more confident with his body. And then I think one of the major turning points for him in the rediscover was when he was like, my kids want to go skiing. Mm-hmm. And he was still scared. He was like, am I going to be okay to go skiing? Right. And I'm like, you've been okay to go skiing for a year and a half, Dermot. Right. Like, stop being scared. And at this time, me and him had enough rapport that yeah. he knew that. It could kick him I, in the butt. I could kick him in the butt a little bit. But I told him, I said, hey, start with this go get a lesson here down right. at Hanson's. We live in Southern California. You can get skiing lessons on a moving carpet in your shorts. That's what I did. Yeah. So I said, do that. Then go get a lesson when you're on the mountain. He got one lesson up on the mountain. And a guy that told me he knew he could never be physically fit again, right. took his kids skiing for in five his, hours a for day. five <laughs> hours a day for right. three days right. in his mid
0: forties. Right.
1: And, that's the thing is, a lot of people feel like, okay, I'm done after 30. I had an injury. I'm well, done. Well,
0: again, and he came to you in a chronic state. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, here he is today. You know, you talk about Rediscover. Dermot's dropped 50% of his body fat. You know, cranking along. He's doing great and making it happen.
1: And that's the thing. So Dermot dropped about 50% of his body fat in a month and a half. And what most people look at that and they're like, ooh, I can drop 50% of my body fat in a month and a half. It's yeah. like. But you forgot about oh, that two years of mm-hmm. time that he put in to when he really focused everything in on the diet, on the diet and the exercise and the body moving correctly, is the body just responds amazingly. So once you put the work in, yeah. we've refined it, and then it's that rediscovering. So, and I mean, part of that too was I think you called him out on the fact that he said he didn't have 20 pounds to lose. And, <laughs> and the reason I want to tell that story is because he came into me, he's like, savage. <laughs> do I have 20 pounds to lose? (laughs) Brian says I have 20 pounds to lose. I don't think I do. I said, okay, Dermot, you know, you're about a half inch, maybe an inch taller than me. He's like, yeah. And at the time, I think he was uh, 215, uh, 215 or 220. And he said, he's like, no, no, I don't. I just got a lot of muscle. And I was like, okay, Dermot. Well, I said, okay, here, all right. We'll frame this correctly for you. He said, okay. And I said, look at me. He's like, okay. I was like, do you have more muscle than me? And he said, oh, not even close. And I said, you want to wager how much I weigh, Dermot? He's like, and his head, the realization started to sink in mm-hmm. and his head dropped a little bit. And I was like, I weigh 202 pounds, Dermot. So unless you have significant amount more muscle than I do. Yeah. And I mean, as you say, I'm I'm a savage Viking. So if right. people see me and, and you put up my picture at the things, yeah. oh, I'm a fairly physically fit guy. Yeah. He was like, okay, well, how do I do that? I'm like, how do I figure out where I actually met? that's when he went and got that information at the bod pod, sure. saw where his body fat percentage was. And then when he had that clear view of where he was, then he was able to be like, okay, I'm going to dial in the food. I'm going to dial in my exercises. Mm. I'm going to do all this. And now he feels so much better that even things that he thought he may never do, whether it's play soccer again mm. or do mountain biking with his son, which he does all the time, now he doesn't even second guess that. It's like, okay, well, how do we get to there? Yeah, and then it's, it's just amazing. putting that plan together.
0: It's been amazing. So while we're on the subject here... You know, Dermot went and he interviewed Angelo Poli and how mm-hmm. Angelo worked with him on his metabolism. What percentage of getting in shape for the average person is diet and what percentage is the working out?
1: That's a question that's asked to a lot of people and yeah. I think people lean towards what they do. Right. So if you ask most trainers, oh, it's all about working out. Right. And if you ask most nutritionists, it's, it's all, all about, about nutrition. Right. <laughs> and it's not all about one or the other. Right. It's the balance of it's 100% working out and 100% nutrition. Right. So you're not going to outwork a bad diet, mm. and a good diet is not going to replace not working out because mm. our bodies are meant to move. Our bodies are meant to load. And if you think of it like a race car, you could have a great race car, but if you dump water in the gas tank, that race car is not going to drive. So if you're doing all the right exercises – but you're either not eating or you're eating just garbage, uh-huh. you're not going to perform. Right. Same thing as if you have race car fuel and you put it in a jalopy, right. that thing's still not going to reach 100 miles per hour. Right. So it's that balance and the fitness portion of it is diet, exercise consistency
0: well and as a former jalopy that put the junk in as well (laughs) as i had the i had the water in the jalopy man you know water
1: in the radiator the
0: only thing left was the scrapyard so that's where i started and it's a process i will say this and i've said this before when you do it right the results don't come as quickly as you'd like and of course here's the irony of the whole thing Isn't that exactly what we have every hour of every day in all of our coaching of all our business clients? We can't help people build a business in 30 days. We can help people put some foundations in place. Of course. We can't help people build a fortune in six months. It takes years. And so it's the same dynamic, but it's amazing that we want to disconnect what we know Mm -hmm. and disconnect logic. You know, I want this garden. I want this garden to look gorgeous, and I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for the next two weeks to have an amazing garden. And yet, when we come to our bodies, that's what we want. And one of the reasons is because when we've done the right things, our bodies change pretty quickly. Yeah. But to do it right, to rebuild, refine, rediscover, it takes time. It takes the right mindset. I think it really takes valuing yourself. I think it takes making sure you got the right help and getting a good coach. You've been great. I've worked with dozens of personal trainers. You've been the best I ever worked with. Because we've gone through this process, I now look forward to the workouts and I'm in the process of transforming my body. And it's, it's slow. It's a grind. I always don't feel like I'm making progress. I've had a setback or two where I've, I've re-injured something on my own doing something goofy. We just did some rehab work here the other day. In a matter of days, we got back to a place that it used to take six months. Yeah. So it's great stuff and I hope it's somewhat of an encouragement for people to starting out. It's never exciting to hear that it's a long road. It's never exciting to hear that the tortoise wins. But uh, there's some great foundational stuff there. Let's just do this for a sec here. We're, we're coming up to our time. I'm hoping if folks have some questions, they can send some questions. Maybe through our insiders, we'll take some questions, and maybe we'll do another, another time with Michael, and maybe we'll even get into uh, maybe handling their individual questions about their own physical situations. If you want to get in touch with Michael, by the way, you can go to enlightenedsavage101.com. And check out his website there and he's also done some remote coaching for some friends of mine some ceos back east and whatever else and he's helped some folks out that way a brilliant guy but i have a tradition here mike that you're here as a first-time guest in the studio and uh, i always ask some rapid fire questions all right and you've listened to a number of our podcasts so you kind of heard different people's take on this stuff but uh anyway just let's go through this real quick as we finish up here today what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten
1: The best piece of advice I've ever gotten is to have grace with myself. Nice. Who gave you that? I don't know. These two weird Irish guys have been trying to help me in business (laughs) for a few years now and help me get over my bullheadedness in areas where I'm not an expert. There you go.
0: Well, the coaching goes both ways, right? Oh, yeah. That's great. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't?
1: I would have to say being overly confident because I'm just a super humble guy. All right, good. All right. Let's make no, a I'm note of that. I'll make a note of that one. I'm going to put an asterisk there. Your wife would
0: say that she wishes you could sing. That's another conversation. That is another conversation.
1: I think I can sing. No one else does. But I guess our, uh, our perceptions are reality, so I'm a great singer.
0: What book uh, has been most instrumental in your life? I would definitely go with the Bible there. All right, then I'm not going to let you get away with that one because that's too easy. So what, what
1: character in the Bible do you identify with the most? I don't know if there's one that I identify the most with, but the one that I get the most out of is just uh, with Job, nice. with the fact that, you know, when he put his faith in God, he was able to withstand stuff that would crumble all of us, right
0: good that's good what's your uh favorite jam you're in the car you i mean you probably have a a wide variety of music uh, but what's your jam you're in the car the kids are like oh dad's playing his music
1: dad's playing his music probably bohemian rhapsody oh, i mean that's on. a pretty good one
0: <laughs> nice that's great all right i like that and then lastly i know you're not watching much tv these days but you're scrolling through the channels and a movie comes on you always stop what's the one movie you've watched over and over again
1: Braveheart, come probably on. followed by Forrest Gump. <laughs> and then uh, Football One would be The Program.
0: Nice. Nice. There it is. There it is. We've added you to the litany of our rapid fire questions. But we got into something today that's a big deal. And I appreciate you taking the time to come in the studio here today, Mike. Uh, you've been a blessing to me and my family and my brother Dermot. I've watched you work with people who've had debilitating Injuries where they were told they'd be paralyzed for life, and I've seen you bring them back. I've watched you working with superstar athletes and and UFC fighters and and all across the board, and uh, you have a great gift. And I really love the sensibilities you bring to it because it's not a get fit quick, take this pill overnight, you're good, which I think in most people's heart of hearts they know. Mm -hmm. But I think the rebuild phase, getting rid of pain, that's a great thing and then refining your body and making progress even though it takes time that's a great thing and ultimately rediscovering uh, that you have an athlete inside you and that you can be who you were designed to be i think that's a, a fantastic thing so i i appreciate all you've done for me i've seen all the work you've done for others and uh, i hope if uh, you guys out there in podcast land you want to reach out to michael and even ask him a question or see what he's all about go to enlightensavage savage 101.com And uh, maybe you can shoot them an email or follow up with them. And if you have a question for them, you can also maybe go to our insiders and maybe we'll do another follow-up podcast, Mike, if you're up for it, for uh, some folks that might have some physical questions.
1: Well, if I can help any of the people that you guys serve, I've met quite a few of them. I've even worked with some of them before I even knew you guys. I love helping people. And so if I can help the great community that Buffini & Company services, I would love to do it again. If they need it or want it. I'll be here.
0: Great. That's great stuff. Well, with that said, I'm going to turn you over to the man who rebuilt, refined, and rediscovered his own talent, Mr. David Lally, our producer. Thanks, Brian. Fantastic stuff. There was so much great content here today. Hard to not be inspired listening to The Enlightened Savage. So thanks for coming in today, Michael. If you Buffini insiders, like Brian said, if you insiders have a specific question for Michael, head over to thebrianbuffinishow.com. And uh, if we get enough questions, maybe we'll bring Michael back for another episode. As always, here's Brian's mum, Therese, with an Irish blessing to send us on our way.
1: May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.